It's Hartford Hustle, a conversation with and about the people making Hartford happen. Iteration 0.9.1. Our guest today is Mike Acosta, co-founder, Story and Soil Coffee. So tell me about the coffee on tap idea. What was that? N2 Coffee was the business. And the whole idea was to get local specialty coffee and serve it in a way where people would be more ready to try it without any sort of preconceived notions. And then kind of get a conversation going around the product, the sort of movement behind it, the purveyors of the coffee and other supplies that we had. And so it was very much it was that for me. It was a platform to kind of share the story of of that coffee and the businesses that we chose to work with. Essentially, have a product that three years ago was not very, was not as ubiquitous as it is now. We were one of the first to have coffee on tap mobily in Connecticut at that point. It, it sort of was in, it was just in the zeitgeist because just a few months later, bunch of other businesses started popping up. Like what, what were the practical issues? Uh, supply, storage. So you just didn't have the, the physical capacity to produce what you No, need. and that was always the issue, was that if we were going to continue going in the direction that we were going in, it, it would have demanded some, just investment in equipment, yeah. um, just to increase uh, scale. And we, I was not interested in that, I mean, at, at the very end of that because we had started doing more events and some consulting and classes. And that was the part of the business that I think had the most impact on the customers that we have now at Story and Soil. The, the events had the most? The, the consulting, the events, um, you know, whether they be you know, coffee-specific events or farmer's markets, essentially getting the product in people's hands and bridging the, the passion for coffee that we had and a bunch of people that we already knew within Hartford um, and elsewhere is kind of sharing that common ground was, was just a very easy thing and just came naturally to me and to my business partners and just to the business in general. So that was sort of the natural growth. That was more of a cultural impact than it was a, uh, a kind of coffee specific thing. And in, in order to grow, the idea was, well, we either get a brick and mortar or you kind of increase the scale of the production of cold brew mm-hmm. and, and start bottling it and packaging it and kind of branding. And those are two very different directions, clearly. You said it was N2? Yeah, N2 Coffee was the name of the business. So this is before Story and Soil. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with N2? What, what was the... The, the impetus to start doing that. That was me getting together with two other guys who also worked in coffee shops. Who are the other partners? Do I know the other partners? Jesus Gomez works at Dom's Coffee in Avon. And Ted um, Dobeck now owns a shop in uh, Westfield, Massachusetts called Circuit Coffee. And you got different partners for first? Yeah. So Sarah and Michael McCoy live in Hartford, are homeowners in Hartford. Um, they're, they're, their kids go to Hartford schools. Before the whole coffee thing, they were interested in having some sort of impact. 
in Hartford. They contacted me through having known me through some N2 event. Cool. Yeah, some farmer's market, what have you. What would happen was we would meet so many people and through all those events and encounters and conversations and um, collaborations, we kept on getting one step closer to figuring out that we didn't want to do N2 coffee anymore. Um, it, 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 grew, it grew very fast, very quickly. And I, I think by the end of it, I had you know, finished at Trinity. I had started a job at a lab in downtown Hartford. Jesus had left his job and started working in, at another shop. Ted, same, left his job, started working in another place. So it was like we were in constant transition. By the end of that business, we were all in a very different place in our lives. So, so, so what, what, where were you in the beginning of, of that process? You were in grad school? I was a graduate assistant over at Trinity College. And while there, I ran the campus um, employee staffed coffee shop. And so that was my first foray into coffee. So I was there living on campus. And it was while I was there that I started and two with these two guys. So it's a question I, I, I wanted to ask you, but I, I, I've been careful not to because I don't know what the answer to this is going to be. Well, I, well, you're a neuroscientist. Why go into coffee shops? You know, I, I worked at a pharmacogenetics lab. That work is fascinating. It always has been. By the end of my career there, we were a few months out from opening the shop. And... I didn't have many other options other than just to leave. But if the question is, why even go into this project with having a brick and mortar and putting all this money and time into a, um, a space when at a f what on the face of it seems like a fairly secure job. So, I mean, it's a growing field. It's a field where there's a lot of money being invested. It's the type of work that people are counseled to pursue if they can, if they have the ability to do so. Yeah. And you opted out, it's an interesting choice. Yeah, I, I think it just, I very much wanted to dive into this world. And I, I, I think this world is about creation and connection. And that's something that you're never gonna get in the lab. And it's just not the quality of life or the standard of living that I wanted. Creating this space allowed for quite a bit and in large part, it was a natural extension of a lot of the connections that I had already made in Hartford with other business owners and just with folks who just were working or doing their own thing um, in Hartford. So there, there, there was very much a gap, I think, in, in that sphere, um, a space where people could just come and in a lot of ways really celebrate the, their own work, the work of their peers, and have an experience that was really unique. And I think allowing a space, allowing, having a space that allows for the creation of, and no matter how small of a way culture has this sort of tangible effect that I've seen, and, and surprised to see the, the, the extent that it's happened, people just find themselves just meeting and we have nothing to do with that other than there wasn't a space for that to happen. It's, it's not about coffee. It's very much coffee as a conduit for 
a space where these things just happen organically. So why story and soil? You just wake up one morning and say, story and soil, you know, or does it, what, does it have a particular uh, meaning or is there, uh, is there, did you have an idea about you were trying to, what were you trying to communicate something about the place? What, what was the genesis of the name Story and Soil? Story and Soil kind of represents the sort of mythology behind what people understand coffee to be as far as the supply chain goes. So when you tell me Story and Soil is something very literal about what people understand coffee to be. Story and Soil has a, a, a literal genesis. Right. Michael McCoy was inspired by the name of a Bright Eyes album. Keep your ear to the ground, the story's in the soil. So that's where story and soil comes from. But to all of us, it very much represented what we hope to achieve in that space. Speak to the supply chain, speak to the hands that go into producing, transporting, roasting, and then serving the coffee. Tell me the story or, or the paint, paint the picture, like where did it happen? Where were you when, where were you guys when Mike came up with this idea, proposed the idea? Like how did that, what was that conversation? I mean, coming up with names is such a bizarre process because you, you, you start, start to realize that you're, you know, you've got a specific, you know, you, you, you've got a branding portfolio. You've got these images, you've got a, a mission, vision, value statement. You've got this whole business plan. And then the name of the business sort of seems like this platonic ideal of this is what represents all of this. And of course, it, it really isn't. In, in a large part, unless you're naming your business coffee shop, it, and if you hope to just be a coffee shop, sure. But it's, it's never going to be entirely representative of what the business is. So we, we took a fairly liberal approach and tossed around over a thousand names. We're just going back and forth, back and forth. It was mostly through text. Um, mostly just saying, hey, how about this? And kind of yay nay sort of situation. Fairly democratic. Um, and who was, who was involved in this conversation? Uh, the McCoys, Michael and Sarah and myself. So it's all, it's just us going back and forth, back and forth. It's, you know, through the eight months of building out the shop, it was the three of us meeting two or three nights a week for about four or five hours at a time, just talking, just really neurotically dissecting most of the facets of the, what the space would look like, what the branding would look like. In this case, what the name is, what the colors on the walls are, sort of all of those things that didn't have to do with coffee. Who came up with the color scheme? Once again, it was, all, it was just all three of us. It took us so long to get to the point where we were ready to open because it took a long time to make decisions. We delegated a lot of tasks, but as far as the aesthetic and the mission and the vision, all that stuff was very much a amalgam of the three of us. But the name, but that process was very much that. It was improvisational sort of exercise in just throwing things out. A couple days before signing the lease, we came up with the name. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, where we're incredibly happy with what that name has come to symbolize and the way it sounds and how kind of weird it is. Well, it's interesting to hear it this way because I, I really thought that it was going to be 
something there was there, it was an inspiration and then coffee the business was sort of like there to as a structure for the inspiration <laughs> and it's pretty much the opposite it's very interesting yeah as, as far as the name goes yes it still is a pretty inspired name though i think i think there's something really hooky about it every now and then people ask where'd you get the name yeah. every now and then people know the album and they go is this based on the Bright Eyes album? But I think in large part, it's like anything put in paper and kind of given to an, an audience. It's very much what people make of it. That's the beauty because our branding is very understated. The, the sort of environment and, and atmosphere that we create is made up of the people in there, the conversations happening, the music playing, the messages we have on the board. Of course, the coffee that we have. The process was a creation of a certain set of expectations and trust. And I think that within that space, there has been that sort of social contract has been established. So those who know sort of get the deal in there. Sounds like what you're talking about um, is, is a distinction and marketing distinction Seth Godin has. What's the promise? The promise of Hartford Hustle is transforming the narrative in and about Hartford. What's the promise of Story and Soil? If you go to, Sto to Story and Soil, what should you be there for? You know, if you're there for a Starbucks experience, you're not going to get it. Right. right. It's not this automated experience. Well, it's, it's not, a, whatever that is, it's definitely not trying to be Starbucks. No. The promise of Starbucks is whatever it is. And you go to Starbucks and they're very consistent about, you know, walking in at Starbucks and this is what you get. What's the experience that you're offering? Did, did you have a written mission statement? Yeah. What was it? Very simply, it was leave people better than when they came in. And that's what it is every day in whatever way we can do it. And I think a lot of it is based on the community that we are in. Because a lot of it relies on this seemingly spontaneous happenstance of the right two people running into each other. The right conversations happening at the same time. The, the right music playing when the right person comes in. I think a lot of it is creating an environment that has something for everyone that comes in, but you, we're not talking about the product that we're selling. We're, we're very much talking about you get that drink and that's what you're taking away with you tangibly. But really the, the hope is that no matter why this is, if you came in upset, the hope is that you're maybe a tiny bit less upset. If you came in uninspired, maybe you're a tiny bit less uninspired. The, but the hope is that relentlessly, obsessively, every single day, striving to make that a possibility and providing an experience that was wholly unique based on the people behind the business and the place that we're opening the business in. We very much believe in Hartford. We very much love Hartford and we love the Hartford because of the people in it. So it's very much a celebration of, of Hartford and everyone.
I think your goal as a coffee shop is to be able to provide an environment where your baristas are going to get good tips. Your customers want to come back. You've given them a reason to be there in the first place, and they will come back with more frequency. We prioritize bonding. We prioritize making sure that people are, are getting fed. We prioritize folks getting time off. We prioritize really making that a space for them and so that they can strive and grow. We don't simply want to just be a coffee shop. We want to be a, a, a viable place to people, for people to build the, themselves. As coffee professionals, sure, but just as people. You know, first year, we've essentially r reached nearly capacity for the number of people that we can serve within that space in a given day, which is great. It's fantastic. But it's, it's ever more reason to become more efficient, better, and look towards other opportunities to grow. Yeah. So, so doing so, pretty well based on the metrics that... Well, if you're, if you're operating at capacity, as long as, you, as long as your basic plan was, was sound, yeah. <laughs> if you're operating at capacity and you're losing money, you, your plan wasn't very good. I think you're always striving to be in a place where you, you can grow whatever that growth looks like. It doesn't always look like an additional location. Mm -hmm. um, what about the roasting conversation? That's something that we've always tossed around too. I mean, it's, it's, it's a natural, it's just a natural progression. Just you treat it like a different business because it, it very much is. Mm -hmm. um, most of everything we sell are perishable goods. Mm -hmm. um, if you're talking about on the green side of things, on the roasting side of things, you can have bags languish in a storage facility, in your roastery, where, where have you. And it wouldn't really stop you from roasting and selling it, but that's not an ideal, ideal place to be. There, there are different business models. Certain roasters will freeze off portions of lots that they've bought in previous years and then be able to kind of constantly serve that in a sort of fresh way, even though it's not a fresh crop. But you know, you're in a position where you have thousands and thousands of dollars in coffee and you need a unique way to sell it because it's hard to sell on quality. And in, in lieu of having you know, deep connections at origin, you're also not selling it on a story, at least not a genuine one. A lot of it has to just do with branding and, and mission and the right collaborations. And I think on that part, either a solid shop or solid retail partners that put your product on the forefront. Roasting is always a, I mean, a very sexy idea, but it, it, it'd be something that you would have to have in development for a while. Kind of roasting for a year without even selling it. Tasting, quality control, perhaps even put it on bar at your shop is definitely not an easy thing. What about private label roasting, having somebody roast it for you? selling your own label, but... I don't think that would really speak well because I think that uh, we were, we're very industry-facing, so it would it'd be, it'd be very clear what was happening, and I think that we're, we're at the point where consumers are looking for the variety of roasters that we carry. Having a private label that was our name would be great, but 
it'd be difficult to match the sort of integrity and structure of these other roasteries that we have on board that just have years of experience behind them, have just incredible relationships and investments at origin. And it'd be difficult to do that and say like, you know, this is our stuff, but you know, it's all right. We'd want it to be up to par. So it'd just take time. Um, so that, that would be either something that's slowly incorporated or something that's done has just a completely different facet. But as a sort of showpiece in a space, I think that's pretty neat. But again, I, I think a lot of it is you have to ask yourself why you're in the industry that you are. What ways can, could you grow just sustainably, but also just with integrity? Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're talking about you have an, a specific idea or concept of what the business is. Is it a brand? Is that really what, what the business is, is a brand? I think it's forming into a pretty strong brand. Yeah, that almost like a synesthetic. You know, you think storing soil and you can kind of have tangible sort of colors and textures and feelings that are associated with that. At least that, that's the hope. Right. And, you know, through the marketing that we do and the, the, the photography and all that, the hope is to kind of convey life at the shop. Story and Soil was not, it, it didn't start out as a brand. It didn't start out with some inspirational idea that Story and Soil represents. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I, I didn't really understand. It isn't a product like N2 was. It is all about an experience. And you're not thinking about product extensions. Right. Chef Xavier from uh, Trattoria Toscana there in Manchester. He did a benefit pop-up a night in Barcelona. He was putting out some delicious Spanish tapas and they were cost-free. People donated. We continued serving drinks out from behind the bar and folks just came in and had the benefit of free food alongside with their coffee. Good turnout for that. We've done collaborations with one of our employees, Elijah Hilleman. He has a, a group that essentially does these creative cultural events. Um, one of them was called Dilla Donuts. It was a celebration of um, Jay Dilla. He had donuts there. He had a DJ who had a collection of Jay Dilla's records. He was spinning them live, and folks just came in and sort of enjoyed themselves. I think I saw the other day, you guys do all your own baking, is that right? Right, so we're doing all the baking in-house now. Like the events that we do, it has the added benefit of bringing people in, but it's not really a money-making endeavor. Um, baking our own pastries, at least at this point, is not much cheaper than buying them elsewhere. The idea is that crafting that in-house and be able to provide at least that added benefit made our lives easier in other ways that weren't just financial. Like what? Not having to go out and pick them up. Being able to control what goes in them we had the opportunity to open a position for a pastry chef. That was great. And kind of giving us a bit more pride behind the food that we were doing as well. So bringing, that, bringing her on with the baking program allowed for a much more substantive food program. Food that's on par with the coffee that we're serving and be a viable spot for folks who 
really want something a little more um, hearty than just a, a biscuit. I think we have a pretty good handful of people who really appreciate what we've done with the space and what we've been able to provide within that, that very small space that was once derelict and now is. Do people ever talk to you about it? I think every once in a while people find a way to sort of convey their appreciation. This is what it means to me now and before that I didn't really have this. So what, what has been the impact of Capital Lofts? I mean, it, it takes up the entire opposite side of, of that block. And it was boarded up, as I recall. There was nothing in there. <laughs> the, the major positive impact is that it's an attractive block now. It's an attractive stretch that was once, like you said, boarded up, was not shoveled, the, f the pavement was in bad shape wasn't being used right exactly so it there's something there that's a low threshold right but there's something there now the added benefit is that it's an investment on the part of the city so there's a vote of confidence so how much business does it actually generate do you think capital loss is a name that was listed in our business plan right so potential viability of storing soil was in part based on the fact that you have 112 apartments across the street and a captive audience. That sort of conversion from the north to the south side of capital has been slow, but sure. And so we've, we, we've got some great regulars. It's complicated because parking's in the back and folks rarely use that front door. And so I think very much in the beginning, all of us agreed we were very surprised about how few of the residents we were seeing in our businesses. But I think that's changed as you have people moving in and moving out. I think a lot of this language of the kind of block and Hartford turning around and there being positive momentum is I think hitting on a lot of points and I think this is one of the things that really keeps the kind of environment the shop like very lively is that a lot, a lot of the people who go there have lived in Hartford for a while and a lot of people who go there they've been our creatives passionate people in general who have known that Hartford has been able to provide a lot um, and there's been a lot going on in Hartford for a while and I think a lot of what people are excited about and writing about now is there are more and more people figuring that out for themselves the hope is that the shop plays a part in that sort of shift. The conversations that we normally have with folks who find us from out of state, they're usually driving through, they've made it a destination, any combination. They're usually pretty excited to find the shop and are super curious about what's going on in Hartford. It's, it's, it's curious that you often hear, oh, I wish I had a place like this wherever I lived. So I, I, I think the that, that kind of duality of being inward and outward looking, looking within the industry and kind of constantly striving to be at the sort of highest levels of quality and all of that, all of those technical things behind the bar, the craft of coffee, but also outward, our customers and the hospitality that we provide. I think that you're able to have this dual narrative of this place is great, and it also seems that people really like being here. Mm -hmm. And 
the hope is that that constantly grows with our neighbors mm -hmm. that we also constantly work with. And I, I think that people like what we do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Cool. All right, man, thanks. Thank you.